Yo, 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 what is up and welcome to Almost Familiar. This is Wes Johnson, and once again, for the second episode in a row, I'm hanging out with Elizabeth in person. That's right. I'm all warmed up now because we're recording two intros in a row because that's what we have to do with our limited amount of time together, but we're still, you know, taking advantage of it. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for being a great host to you, to Matt, to, and most importantly, to the to the real ruler of your house, Bolivar. Bolivar. And this is the most beautiful, adorable fluffiest mischievous little cat you've ever met he loves to snuggle but he is integral to the inner workings of our household so it is truly a blessing to share this space with you matt and bolivar all at the same time it's uh, such a trip you know you've been here for about a week now and it still doesn't feel real and i'm about to leave tomorrow and you're about to stay here a little bit longer mm-hmm. which i'm so happy get to stay and explore colorado some more but it has just been such a treat getting to hang First day Elizabeth came here, uh, we hung out, we were doing some editing together, and uh, usually this is all stuff we do like over the internet, so uh, a very happy time for the both of us is kind of getting to hang out and reconnect for a little bit before the cold, hard winter really begins. Well, I mean, speak for yourself, because I am getting the fuck out of Colorado before the cold, hard winter comes. I mean, I kind of forgot that fall happens here, so it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. To see all of the beautiful fall colors this week, although my skin is just so fucking dry. <laughs> I don't know how you people do it. Chapstick. I don't have enough chapstick it. in the world for this. I yeah. need like moisturizer, lotion, like all of this stuff. I can't wait to be back by the salt water with, um, I don't know, the, the boba we got the other night. I know we're about to go get boba, but like that's that, that was a fucking frappuccino with whipped cream. I gotta, I gotta go back to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today's guest, although he does not come from the southeast, he does hail from the northeast in the city of brotherly love, the 215 Philadelphia itself. We were really happy to sit down and chat with Zone Drums, who is a prolific drummer. Uh, he most works mostly with 5AM Trio, if you may have seen them around. Former podcast guest, shout out to Sam. Shout out to Sam, my friend, how are ya? And the 5AM Trio has recently shifted and changed shape in its lineup where its Submersion Festival in October was their last show with Tigris on bass and cutting it up on the turntables. Um, You know, much love to Tigris. You know, really excited to see what he's going to do with his career moving forward just because he makes his own music. And if you are unfamiliar with Tigris, I immediately recommend that you rectify that and go look up his shit on SoundCloud because it is very hot. But yeah, Zone Drums is a very talented drummer. Um, it's him, 5AM, and now Keith Wadsworth of Wax Future. That is the new trio. I just saw they recently had their debut show as the new trio opening up for Papadocia recently. It looked like a fucking good very time. Very cool. Good for them. Mm-hmm. But Aaron is just a fucking great guy. I would, you know, I'd go so far as to call him, he's he's a professor, realistically. Oh gosh, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't even call this an episode. Mm. I, you know, it is a, a seminar, a workshop. It's like we're hosting a panel and he is just, it's, I mean, I feel like I, I learned so much in this episode. Oh my gosh, absolutely the same here. Yeah, from the drumming aspect to his creative business he's doing. And then to talking even about sustainability, mm-hmm. which is just something it's I, we've never even intended for it to come up, but um, Aaron is a very passionate man, which you were going to hear come through in the episode, and as hard as he works, he plays just as hard, you know, and I mean in terms of, you know, as a performer and as a fan, one of my favorite moments of Submersion was on the last night of the festival, um, it was a crazy, crazy run of music, but Cohen Sound had two sets, there was their first set, um, which was at nighttime, and then they had a sunrise set. Jealous. And then just, like, nothing but heat in the middle. 
but for their original set, it started, or their first set, I should say, it started off with like, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes of just really beautiful down-tempo music that then shifted into just fucking party time. And I remember there's one song where I'm just bouncing up and down like a madman, and I feel these like fists just playfully punching me in the back, and I turn around, and it's just Aaron who just crept up, and his crew is right behind me, and he was punching me, he's like, whoa! And he was so hyped, <laughs> and I got really hyped, and just a really good energy around. And this man on the kit is fucking flawless. Uh, during thought processes set on Thursday, it was a really fun moment. I don't even know if I told you about this, Elizabeth, but holding out on me over here. <laughs> Joe was up playing by himself, and then uh, Aaron just like, I don't know, I don't know how he snuck on stage so seamlessly, but just like slid behind the kit and started drumming live with thought process and like didn't miss a beat. Wow, you know, and it was something that they talked about. They didn't even like rehearse for. Or they've never rehearsed. Aaron just has this fucking ear mm-hmm. that is so good. And uh, Mike Wallace, a very legendary producer in the scene who also happened to be at Submersion, him and I were chatting during that set, and he was like, oh, hey, mate, like, who's that drummer? Like, this drummer's fucking incredible. He just came on, and it's just been on point. He hasn't missed a beat. And I was like, oh, that's his own drums. And it was really cool to see just a legend like Mike Wallace just giving up love for Aaron, and, you know, as, as swiftly as he entered, he backed off the stage and just, like, I was just so impressed, you know, when Aaron is just that guy, he's just, he's very talented, he's very sure of himself, he just finds his pocket, and just does incredible work in whatever it is that he's doing. Yeah, I love to hear that this kind of stuff is still happening, because it kind of reminds me of the Pretty Lights crew, to be honest with you, and mm-hmm. how all of them, like, especially people like Borum Lee and Adam Deitch, and just like the whole Lettuce crew, they have, I think they have that butterfly quartet now, too, where it's just like, they all have that, like, natural and intuitive ability to just, like, hang out with each other and just like jam improvisationally you know without any rehearsal and it's just like such talented musicianship and like you know it a lot of them have an instrumental background especially the lettuce guys but like to see this happen like in an electronic music setting and with with music that i never could have imagined in a million years could be performed in a live way like just like with the 5 a.m trio like it's just so it is so cutting edge and it's just like it's it's awesome yeah, it really is cool. It, like, it feels like we're witnessing the evolution of what the future is going to be just happening in real time. Yeah. And it's just, it's very surreal. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could keep yapping, but we want to get you into this episode with Zone Drums. But before we do, if we could ask you for just a quick little favor. If you haven't already, if this is your first time listening, you know, we are a, a independently run podcast Elizabeth and I just this is a passion project for us we don't monetize off this in any way but we are trying to grow it you know we want this to get out to more people Um, so if you can you know we would love if you'd follow us on Instagram we are at almost familiar pod if Facebook's more your game we are almost familiar on Facebook and if you're ever looking to email us with questions recommendations you know you just want to say what's up and chat you can do that too at almost familiar podcast at gmail.com we would absolutely love to hear from you. Yeah, and you know, in addition to that, I would love it if you love it, if you love this podcast, if you told a friend about it. Yeah. Because I think that is how I have witnessed like the strongest and most organic talent in this community spread. And I'm not saying that we are the strongest and most organic talent in this community, but like what I am saying is that like, 
I think that quality content spreads via word of mouth. It's like you see, like someone like Tipper doesn't have a fucking social media presence. Again, not saying that we are <laughs> on that level we gotta at shut all. The fuck up if we're trying to be like Tipper's not, online presence. Well, we've I've said too much. We've said too much. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that, like, I think that content spreads. Like, I love seeing content that spreads organically without yeah. like the bullshit algorithm. That's all I'm really trying to say. So, like, yeah, you can follow us. Like, we don't. We could do better at social media, but that's like not what I'm. I, I don't think that's what either of us are here for. So, like, just. Spread the word. Tell a friend. If you think this is good, if you think a friend would like it, just, you know, tell a friend. Mm-hmm. That'd be super cool, too. Yeah, and we love that. And we love you. Thank you for spending some time with us. Yeah. Well, before we get you into our interview with Zone Drums, Aaron was actually kind enough to share an unreleased track with himself, 5AM, and McWavy. So, I know it is cold. We are in the winter months. But we got an absolute heater for you. This is... Orange sunshine. Things gonna come your way 
Good morning. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? It's good to meet you. You too. It's good to meet you too, man. Are you coming at a, you're at Sam's place, yeah, up in Fishtown area? Yeah, Sam. Uh, I've actually been living in this house for, since 2017, and Sam just moved in. So it's my place. <laughs> Let me put some respect on it. But, but yeah, no, it's our it's our spot. No, it's our spot. We we have we have some great so we have a great space here. Yeah, you do. It's beautiful. I actually uh, I visited Thanks, Philly a month or so ago for a work trip, and I got some dinner with Sam. He showed me the spot. Got to check out oh, the nice. studio, which was super cool. Oh man, that's dope. Yeah, that's my. I've yeah. been building that. I've been building that space up for a really long time. Beautiful man. Yeah, that's the spot. Absolutely. So you're a Philly kid born and raised, yeah? No, I grew up in Boston, actually. Um, okay. I grew up uh, like 15 minutes outside in the Burbs. Um, so not Boston proper. Like people say they grew up in Philly. They grew up in like Doylestown or something. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> I grew up I grew up in Boston, and then I came here to go to Drexel. Nice. Oh, yeah. I ended up just chilling here. Now, what brought you out to Philly? Was it mainly college, or did you have other ulterior motives for moving out there? Yeah, it was Drexel. Um, I got in. I actually got in for product design to Drexel um, and then came for orientation and I was like, I don't want to do product design. <laughs> and I switched into the music industry major. Um, I was like meeting all the kids at orientation and all the product design kids were like super creative and really cool, but really hardcore. Mm. And uh, all the music industry kids were like homies instantly. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I want to spend my four year <laughs> career with music people. <laughs> Hell yeah. So and that's what got me. playing before Philly. college? Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing drums forever um, since fourth grade. Damn. Um, so I've been, yeah, that was 2004. Wow. So what started that for you? Uh, I was kind of surrounded by music when I was younger in my town. Um, my parents weren't super musical. Like, we had a piano in the house, but it wasn't heavily utilized. Um, but my brother was in a band, and his whole generation was like, super it was they didn't have phones <laughs> so all they did was play music and there was like dozens of bands in my town that were sick like really good bands they were not just high school bands they were like really really good like it, you know in my eyes when I was young they were like nationally touring bands and stuff um in my little hometown you know little suburb outside of Boston and uh it was just a super cool place to be a musician like there were shows every week at like the churches like you know community shows where there'd be 200 high schoolers packed into the basement of a church or like a YMCA or something Damn. and it was like uh it was like intrinsically just intertwined in life as a high schooler and, and as a middle schooler honestly is when it started um but it like the scene was a scene <laughs> in this little suburb there was like a big scene so i was like i want to i want to play an instrument too and my brother played guitar and my my best friend was playing drums at the time and i was like well damn it i don't know what to play <laughs> and then he gave up drums and started playing guitar and i was like i'm in like tap me in <laughs> there you go and that was it yeah Wow. How was that? That's cool. I don't think I've ever, maybe we've never had, I don't know, maybe no one from like suburb culture that really talks about having a thriving <laughs> scene. It's just nothing I ever hear. Usually yeah. the suburb kids have to seek that out in the city. So how yeah. cool of your town is to have that popping for you. Amazing. Oh, yeah. And it was totally their generation. Like as soon as they, they got out, then it was kind of dead. They had it thriving. There was like dozens of like really talented bands. And then our, um, 
our generation struggled with it because A, because no one was playing instruments, B, because electronic music was taking over. So when I got into high school and like the band scene was kind of disappearing, I was like, all right, I'm going to throw some dubstep shows. <laughs> <laughs> and so I threw a bunch of dubstep shows in like VFW halls and and churches and you name it. And like that, that shit <laughs> was crazy. That. that shit was, yeah, we, we evolved into the next level of, of music scene in the burbs. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just debauchery. It was awesome. I would love to see some dubstep in a church someday that I have, I have not done yeah. yet. <laughs> They were chill churches. It was like UU churches, you know, where they're like, yeah, yeah, it's community space. You can do whatever you want in here. And I was like, all right, here's 200 underage kids partying wow. really hard. Like, <laughs> See, it, me growing up as a Roman Catholic, I could never imagine if Monsignor's like, yo, let's open this pit up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They really they really let us run with it. I don't know how we got away with it. It was, it was nuts. And it pretty much went well. And then I, I actually handed it off to this other kid. Um, have you ever heard of Sober Rob? I haven't. I don't think so. So awesome producer, um, really great producer. He was a year younger than me, and when I left, so I called the series Dubstock. <laughs> and when I nice. left high school, he was like, "Yo, I think I want to throw one of those. Like, do you mind if I take the name and run with it?" I was like, "Yeah, absolutely, do it." <clears throat> and so he took it, ran with it, and like they like blew it out and had like cop show up and like they had kids in the bathroom with like racks of beer and like all sorts no. of drugs and, like, it was like yeah I think that was the end of it <laughs> I think the VFW hall was like yeah we're not gonna take that liability anymore <laughs> but it was a privilege to be like a suburban kid and have like a place to go listen to music and like homies come in and and, and play yeah that that's so sick um, were you part of, or like, did you intersect with the uh, Mass EDMC people at all? They, not directly, no, mm-hmm. not at the time. They were definitely like around Massachusetts. They like, I wanted to work with them when I was in high school, but I was just, you know, I was a little high school kid. Yeah. Um, but no, not not necessarily. Um, there was there was a lot of people around Boston doing a lot that I did get intertwined with. Um, this guy Jake Boyne was in a band called Wobble Sauce, and they through Wobble Wednesdays Wobble at the Wonder Bar. Whoa. Do you remember that name? Yes. Like yeah. deep in the eons of my memory, but yeah. 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 He he was from my town and his brother oh. was in my grade or something like that. Or he was in a he was in my grade at a different school. So we we met and he took me on tour when I was really young. And so I had a connection to the Wonder Bar and I would go there often. Like, when I was in high school, they had me, like, running the door there. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm, like, taking 21-year-old IDs. And I'm just like, Shh, looks good to me. Like, I'm <laughs> 16 or 17. At the, like, if so that's I was an intertwined idea, with, right. like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that was funny. Um, but so I was intertwined with that that scene, the Wobble Wednesdays scene in Alston. Yeah. Um, and they had some, they had everyone through there. Um, that was a really cool spot. Now, it was not a cool say... spot. It was a cool scene. <laughs> the the bar itself go. was horrible, but the scene was great. <laughs> the people were great. The music was awesome. Yeah. That when you say you went on tour, who are you out seeing? Anyone in particular or just kind of just getting out there and checking out music? I, I went out with, with the Wobble Sauce guys. They took me oh, out Oh, okay. Yeah, Very so cool. I was like drum teching and just helping them load in and out and just learning about the road and um, learning how to a musician <laughs> Dang. you know they brought me to a lot of my first festivals and my first camp disco and 
taught me what to do, what not to do. A lot of what not to do. Love those guys to death, but they showed me a lot of what not to do. <laughs> now, is this like the old Bisco back in Mariahville? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, lots yeah. of not to do's there. Lots of not to do's <laughs> at that Bisco. That was yeah. uh, that was quite the experience. Yeah. But they brought me to a lot of like the small uh, like OG festivals, Mint Green and Camp Coldbrook and like a bunch of like tiny Massachusetts and, and Northeast festivals. Uh, and I had just never experienced anything like that at the time. So that was like a yeah. really, really cool start just getting tossed into the scene. Yeah, you were yeah. talking about earlier, you know, how you guys kind of shifted into like liking electronic music because it's pretty common with a lot of us once you hit a certain age. And you mentioned, you know, like throwing dubstep shows. So was it kind of like those Bisco experiences where your electrical taste kind of broadened and maybe even more specifically kind of narrowed the focus? Because, you know, I got hip to you with 5 a.m. And, you know, you could say that's uh, not super similar to like dubstep in your work with the 5 a.m. trio, but you guys do play a lot of electronic music. So just kind of curious you know what you started listening to and like what you listen to now and kind of how that's evolved for you i always think those are really yeah. interesting stories yeah of course um it was i mean i think a lot of kids my age would say the same thing it all kind of came back to skrillex oh yeah. <laughs> yeah like i remember the first time that someone put headphones on and it was like you've got to check this out and i was like <laughs> right i like you know like skin on my face was pulled back and i was like whoa <laughs> So that was like the beginning as a high school, like I have a vivid memory of sitting in the computer lab and this kid putting the headphones on and being like, check this out. And like that was the turning point. And then we, uh, he was coming to play in Worcester at the Palladium, which is like 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes from where we grew up. And we all wanted to go. And so I was like, all right, I'm renting a charter bus. <laughs> so I rented this like really nice bus with a driver to come pick us up at the high school parking lot and <laughs> I sold tickets to it and like I sold out every seat on the bus and we took all all the extra money and bought a bunch of snacks. I went to Costco and like loaded up on like enough food to feed like a hundred people and then we <laughs> take this bus to Worcester, went to the Skrillex show and that was like the genesis of like everyone being like, oh yeah, electronic music is sick. <laughs> um, and that kind of shifted everyone into that. So. That took off, and then I had um, one of my good friend's brothers was really good friends with kind of our crew. Like, he would just, he was like the older cool kid, and he he gave my buddy Sean, like, a massive flash drive with, like, three, four thousand songs on it of just, like, really good trip-hop and electronic music, and, like, like, still to this day, like, hot picks you know like telephone tel aviv was on there oh yeah um yeah like changed my life as like a high schooler smoking weed for the first time listening to telephone <laughs> tel aviv just being like everything is different <laughs> um there's like umphreys mcgee and uh a lot of a lot of really good trip hop um thievery corporation and Morchiba mm. and like a bunch of bands a bunch of bands i actually ended up to go on and work with later on in life later on i mean i guess later on in high school <laughs> but um it was, it was like, all right, electronic music is here, and then instantly, like, the floodgates open to just, like, 
very high quality music and then I got taken on tour and brought to all these festivals and it was like all right we're in this like it was it was not a slow transition it was just like it was like I was listening to Green Day up until that point and then I was like all right let's run it (laughs) (laughs) so when I hear the kind of music that you perform with 5am before seeing you perform it live it's not the kind of electronic music that I ever thought could be performed live I couldn't even like imagine Mm -hmm. that and I'm wondering if you had a moment in your evolution where you were like this can be performed live yeah well it's funny because I've always I've always just been a drummer I don't play any instruments I have no music theory like my brain has a blockage for music theory (laughs) which is why I just hold down the rhythm but uh so I've never been able to make my own music I've always been a drummer who needs to find people to play with so um you know I was always looking for different sounds to play with and I played with more bands than I can count throughout high school and when I met this kid David he was doing turntablism and electronic music at like a young age at like 15 or so and we started playing together and that was the beginning of like oh electronic music and drums like this can happen like I think I saw I think I saw Big G and I saw Pretty Lights and I saw them with drummers and I was like I could do that let's do this and so that um, that pushed me into it and evolved over many years and many different projects i've played with hundreds and hundreds of different producers into just being like okay i'm like i want to i want to beat the electronic drummer like i want to be the dude that's playing with them and seeing a lot of really good influences of people like kj saka and like mm. colby buckler colby buckler yeah. is a dude i saw when i was really young colby's um, nuts to, like, he's insane he's insane yeah. he influenced my style a lot when i was younger um, of like the kind of trap drumming and like super quick hats and like really yeah. steezy style. Um, he's insane. And obviously Deitch, um, and all these people, like I was around them and I was seeing it up close and I was like studying what they were doing. And I was like, this is it. Like I could, I could do that. Like <laughs> obviously I wasn't as good at the time and still, still will never be able to compete with those dudes. But, um, I saw that there was a space for it and, um, and I loved it. It was just like totally different working with electronic producers versus a band um, and being able to evolve that to meet somewhere between electronic uh, performance and just like a five piece, you know, standard band. And to meet somewhere in the middle was like a cool transition of uh, of just seeing what could be done, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's definitely taken me pretty far, and now I just want to play with everyone. Like I'm down, like I'll still play with bands here and there that are just like guitar, bass, drums. Uh, I'll still do singer songwriter stuff randomly with with homies and random people that hire me out to play, and I'll still just sit in with, you know, my boy Thought Process. We'll do that all the time, and and whoever else wants to play drums, <laughs> who else, whoever else wants me to play drums with them, rather. Yeah. That's really cool, man. I mean, it was kind of one of my questions where it's like, how do you prep to like play with so many different people? Because I've seen you just like, you know, people share clips. I'm like, yo, like he's playing with them too. Like, you know, <laughs> how do you like even have time to prepare all this music? But it's just like, it's clearly just been such a big part of your identity in your life growing up, just being so accustomed to music. And you do hold it down, man. Like, I always think what Elizabeth was saying is like, when you can't picture like electronic music converted into a live setting, I think about that with drum and bass a lot, especially on the drumming front. Cause I'm like, 
yo, you got to be moving like so fast. Like, I don't know how you compartmentalize all those different rhythms and that new transmission you guys put out with the homie Maya singing. I was like, bro, like you you guys are all so dialed in and like, just like looking at you guys and you all have such a good time while you're fucking just like jamming so hard, like just converting electronic music. It's so cool. So it's all about, we're actually about to get Maya. She's moving to Philly. So we're, yeah, we're, taking, no. her, we're taking her from Denver. She's coming in like, I think in like a week actually. What is it? The, yeah, I think she's coming like the 20th or something. I got to check on that date, but she's coming in. Like, <laughs> so there's about to be a lot more music made with her. Um, cool. Really, really stoked on that. She's obviously just an incredibly talented singer, but also just one of our best friends. So yeah, she's really so nice sweet. to have her nearby. She's the best. She's the Absolutely. Best. Yeah, so that's going to be really fun. Now, I was also curious, you know, talking about playing with kind of more traditional bands. Um, you guys just recently did Summer Dance, which is Lotus's kind of festival. How are you guys mm-hmm. received over there by the Lotus crowd? I assume they're a little bit more open to kind of more electronic stylings as they're kind of one of those very hybrid fluid bands themselves. Yeah, totally. Um, we I've been going to I've been at the past three summer dances with different projects. I did with Wax Future. I played uh the first year and then the beeswax projects we played yeah. last year and then this year with the trio so i've got like a good understanding of how that festival flows and it's a really interesting festival because everyone's there to see lotus and like the additional people on the lineup they're like oh cool you know like they're, <laughs> they're right. like oh it's just extra for them you know so the daytime sets it's just one stage it's super chill there's like half hour changeovers it's a mega chill festival it's really really cool so you know it's a lot different than any other festival where people are like making a schedule and going to you know making sure they catch all the artists they see it's just like it's casual is the best way i can describe Mm -hmm. it so it's like you know we're playing music on the daytime on the beach and there's like a few hundred people there having a great time and it's very chill so I'd say it was received really, really well. Um, and it's also just like a good environment to kind of play any music. Like there's there's a few hundred people always chilling at the stage. And then there's thousands of people throughout the campground and like in the lake. And everyone's listening, you know. It's all, they're all right there. So it's like, it's almost like a giant picnic. <laughs> so it's like, mm. how is it received? I'm like, I think it was pretty good. Everyone was chilling big time. So yeah. <laughs> um, so it went really well, but you know, the, the Lotus crew is, is really receptive and those guys are all, they've all become really good friends of mine and they are just uber supportive of Philly music and music in general, but obviously Philly music. So it's really nice to go up there and see like our homies blend mode and like, there's always some project that's some group of our friends intertwined with them. So it's, it's very well received by the band and the crew. Uh, and all the staff there and everyone that goes to summer dance is super about it and super open. So it was great. It was really great. Tight. Yeah. And Lotus yeah, has some, um... go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go. <laughs> no, yeah. right. It was like the trail end of a thought that I was like, maybe I got something here. And I was like, nah, <laughs> I was, I was just going to ask, cause I haven't seen Lotus in like five fucking years because there, there are some jam bands that like, we're coming to the West coast and like the West coast means Colorado to them. And I'm like, well, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess <laughs> that is not a coast. And I'm like, all right, I guess I will go to Colorado for your like West show. But, um, yeah, they Lotus from what I've just seen, like on social media and like the internet, like they, they have some like cool side projects, right? Like the, is Octave, 
Octave Cat, like one of them, or maybe a couple of them are in Octave Cat, uh, which is with mm-hmm. one of the guys from Dopapod, I think, and like maybe a, a couple others. Yeah, that's Jesse and Eli and this dope drummer. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all doing everything. I, Jesse is the powerhouse of, of Lotus and every project he's in. Like he is a absolute powerhouse musician. Um, he lives like right up the block from here. So we see each other like very often on the street and it's really, really nice to have that neighborhood feeling. Mm. Um, and then also playing music with him is insane. Um, he's just the most skilled, talented, just experienced musician. Um, I love, I love playing with like, you know, the trio and with wax future and everyone, but then you get in a room with him and he's like, here's how practice is going. We're doing this, run that back, like do it again, do it again, do it again. Um, and so he's got like this, um, this process that has just been dialed over many, many years. I mean, I think Lotus has been together more than 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. So I think he's able to, and has the drive and energy to launch projects all the time because he's so a creative and be like efficient with this process. So he plays Je- just Jesse plays in octave cat. Um, and also does the, the music for beeswax, like him and Connor from wax future. Um, produce all the music for beeswax obviously keith also um and uh i, I gotta think of, he's definitely in some other projects too and then like greeny is playing with like the new deal sometimes and also mm. does his own dj drum set kind of thing um and then chuck definitely plays with he does percussion and drums with a bunch of people out in denver every time i go out there i go i go see him in the family and he's always talking about some cool mountain gig he just got back from um, they're all just, they're just musicians, you know, they're just, they're musicians and they're always doing something. Oh, and Jesse obviously has Beard of Bees, which is just a side project. The like, yeah. he- heavy synth, super techno disco house. Like it's awesome if you ever get to see a Beard of Bees set. But yeah, those guys are, are inspirational in the amount of music they churn out outside of their main project, which is still churning out a shit ton of music. Yeah. They just put out a new album. You know, they seem to be fucking shredding with Tim Palmieri. Who's really cool Mm -hmm. for, you know, when Mike left the band, I was just like, no, like he's one of my favorite guitar players, like the soul he brings through. But Tim Palmieri, I was also familiar with just because I spent time in Syracuse for eight years and he's like, you know, a pretty big staple in the upstate, like Northeast region. So I was cool, used to cool. seeing him shred of like Kung Fu and I know you used to play with the right. breakfast and I was like, yo, like he's going to join Lotus and they have like a totally new sound now. It's fucking yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's still definitely Lotus at the core. And then yeah. Tim brings this like shreddy, like rock leaning sound that just like it works. It's yeah, it was a whole, it was, it was a lot of new energy. It was really cool. Yeah. yeah. I've seen them a whole lot. And like, this is, it's definitely, it's the new wave, you know, it's the, it's the new Lotus wave. It's great. Sick. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing with musicians. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen it yourself with just like having to be nimble and being able to kind of change with the flow and like what's going on in music at the moment. So I think when you're someone like yourself, you know, you're just in a really good position where you're just like so well versed in all kinds of music. Like, what what do you see trend wise coming up now? Like, do you think there's a new big sound that's kind of currently cultivating or what do you see happening with electronic music? You know, I wish I was the guy who had like the cool insider knowledge, but I'm just, I'm so not, (laughs) and I love music and I consume so much of it and I see so much of it and you know, it's really unpredictable in the best way. And like, I don't think, um, 
I I personally never assumed that like rhythm and like dubstep was gonna take off to the extent that it did, and that like that was like whoa that was a huge surprise. I'm super about it and I support all those dudes. I have a lot of friends in that world, um, who I'm really really excited for, um, but I never saw that coming, you know. And I and I will never claim to know what is coming. <laughs> I mean I see. I'm biased towards a lot of my friends and, and, and people that I work with a lot because like I have some, I think everyone kind of has this, like they like their friends art the best. <laughs> so like, you know, I look at people like Ty Dai Kai, who's like very good friend of mine, lives up the street and like what he's doing with the lab group. And I'm like, Oh, like that shit's the future. And then I see like, uh, Tyler goes, he does up the trees and I like see him playing and like see his music and I've known him for like 10, 15 years at this point. Like I booked him in Philly when a long, long time ago and I see him playing music and I'm like, oh, that's the, you know, that's the future that's coming up because like they're, when you hear fr- music that your friends make, it hits you differently than yeah. when you just hear something you've never had a connection to. I don't know. There's something about that. And that's Absolutely. always been the case. Like even the bands in my hometown, like in my biased mind, I was like, these guys are the best. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I don't, I think I have a relatively good year. And when I was younger, I was booking a lot of shows that if I kept booking them, I would have finally made money throwing shows because <laughs> I was booking some like really good acts that took off. Um, so I think I have a decent ear, but I don't, I will never claim to know what is coming or what is going to be big besides just like rooting for my friends and being like, I think they're going to be the future, <laughs> you know, which I, I'm happy to own the biasness in that. <laughs> yeah. We root for the homies around here. That makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. It's, it's so great. It's so great. I'm sure after you do podcasts with homies, you go back and listen to their music and you're like, this is extra good now. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's cause like, I'm sure you could even relate, especially with of the trees is a great example. Cause like he's fucking on top of the world right now. Like he mentioned the palladium earlier. He just like announced his new year's show there, you know, like huge. He's doing really good stuff. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. It's really, really cool. I think I, I think I paid him like $200 to come play in Philly. (laughs) His first headline show ever. Probably not the same number. (laughs) No, no, no. He slept in my basement. (laughs) Like that was like, you know, that was where it's cool. It's so so cool seeing people take off like that where like we we had the chance to book a lot of really really good artists when i was in school and we and you know it was like we were giving them a few hundred bucks and now they're like millionaires plus and it's like it's so cool seeing people take off like that and seeing when the you know when the music industry can work and when it like when it does lean into people and when like the teams jump in and make it work and uh it's it's super neat it's super neat seeing that so i root i root for a lot of the people and i believe in a lot of the people that i've been around just by default i guess so i think the future is the future is my homies (laughs) hey man that's the quote right there yeah (laughs) it is though you look around like look at the hollow collective boys i'm like i fucking love those boys i'm like that's the future and you know i look at kyle and 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 the lab group dudes and i'm like that's the future and like it's like who knows who knows but that's you know i I believe in my friends for sure i really really believe in my friends absolutely besides of the trees um can you give us some examples of some other artists that you booked and like threw a few hundred bucks and like maybe uh slept in your basement that are now like that have now taken off oh yeah 
yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of just like the tier one festival kids. Like, we booked Ganja White Night for 500 bucks, <laughs> and, like, that was still to this day one of the best shows I've ever experienced. It was, we started the show series called Altered States, uh, and it was me and this other dude who really sucks and I don't even have to say his name Philly people will know <laughs> we had a good we, we had a good run we had a good run but he's not good on a lot of people um, and we worked with this guy Justin uh, from Death Waltz Media who was like our mentor and really gave us a lot of opportunities and he gave us this room and promotional uh, support and we're like let's launch a series we did like 45 shows 40 45 shows so we had our first show was Ganja White Night. Our second one was Of the Trees. Um, we had Subtronics in there a few times. We had um, we had Closey in there. We had a lot. Like I gotta go back and look at these posters and just be like, whoa! <laughs> like we had we had the gang. Like we did a lot of we did a lot of really really fun shows in there. Um, we had a couple of the dudes from Thievery Corporation come do their side projects and like we had some really really good music in a really tiny room in Philly and it was it was a special time yeah but, you know at that time we weren't making any we never lost money which was really cool um, but we'd put in hundreds of hours of work sometime and walk out with like a hundred bucks you know it's yeah. a small room electronic music was popping but it wasn't popping like it is now for sure and uh we had good music and a good crowd, and it was awesome. Uh, but it was so hard. Like, shout out to anyone putting on shows. That stuff is so tiring. Yeah, and like you said, those profit margins can be so slim. So it's like, if you don't really yeah. love what you're doing, like you just don't really see a lot of people sticking it in the long haul. And it sounds like you definitely loved what you're doing at the time. So you know, fucking hat off to you, man. That's that's sick. Yeah. There's some Dude, big names. Shout out to the local promoters and everyone that's still doing it. Like, yeah, so many of them, like you know, have taken off, and and so many of them are still in the building phase. And so whenever we play with like local promoters, I like hats off to them. Like for sure. Like you said, like it's just like I'm like I've been there, dude. I've been there. <laughs> Mm. This this is a it's a thankless thankless job. Like when I, there was some there was someone else just said this, so I'm not gonna take credit for it. But there was something like when the when the shows sell out, the bands pack pat themselves on the back and are like, "We're the best!" Like we crush. And then when the shows flop, they're like, "Oh, the promoter screwed us." So it's like you know you never really get the like yo shout out to the promoter like <laughs> yeah. you never really get that. So we we try to show our love to the promoter whenever possible. Um, in in as real of a way as we can, because yeah. uh, they're holding down the scene, and a lot of these people are doing, you know, what I did when I was younger of like bringing music to a place that maybe didn't have it. Like we just went up to Burlington and played with the uh, the Full Melt dudes, and mm. they're the best. They're the best. They're super yeah. chill, and they're bringing this music up to Burlington that like I don't know if anyone else would book us in Burlington, you know. <laughs> like, right. So I give I give them a lot of credit for for being uh, able to take risks like that and and throw shows and and put their own money and time into something like that. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. And shout out to Burlington, the Vermont crew. My uh, you actually stayed with a really good friend of mine, Timmy, who's up in Vermont. Oh, that kid's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's the awesome. fucking man. He was one of the ones who suggested this podcast. I posted something, and I was like, I want to do a podcast. And, like, four people, like, shouted you guys oh out. Oh, my God. And Timmy was one of them. 
yeah a bunch of people were like you got you got to do it and I was like all right so that's why that's why I ended up hitting you guys up I was like sounds good let's run it <laughs> shout out let's sick oh yeah yep. I'm glad that worked out so like why did you want to do a podcast like we're like we're so happy you're here like but like what did you want to talk about yeah um I I have a lot of things that I'm working on that are not drumming oh. and I have a lot of things that I'm working on that are outside or adjacent to the music world that I think are I think are kind of interesting to talk about because a lot of musicians like I know Mr. Bill's kind of been on this kick where he loves talking about anything but music sometimes mm. um, and like there's a lot of other stuff going on out there <laughs> and I kind of wanted to talk about some of that so that was one of the reasons that I uh that I, I thought this would be fun and I listened to a handful of your guys' episodes and I was like, Oh, you guys are talking to like all my homies. Like this is this has gotta be this is They're the this future. Is a great way. Yeah, you're talking to all the futuristic the futuristic homies, like we gotta make this happen. Fuck yeah. Um, so where do you wanna start? Outside so yeah. you know, like about, you know, a non a non music topic or your your projects that are adjacent to this, like where do you wanna start? Yeah. Um the biggest thing that's been taking a lot of my energy or I guess that I've been giving a lot of my energy to is the art that I've been making recently, the wood panels. Mm -hmm. um, that has been taken off for me in a way that I never really expected. Um, and it's, it's turning into like a whole other facet of my life that I wasn't really planning on and I'm super stoked about. And it's something I'm definitely like excited to talk about and share with people. Um, it's like this thing in the background. That's that's the, the first rendition. <laughs> Could you explain that for the people that are listening? Because we get to see it. That's a beautiful piece. But what exactly were you looking at? You know, what does it do aesthetic-wise? I know there's a lot of it's all upcycled drum kits, I believe. But if you could just explain it for us, we'd love that. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I was working at a drum shop when I was in college. I got a, an internship working with them. Or it's it's called a co-op. So it's like you go work with them for a few months. Uh, and get real world experience and college credit and all that. So I was working at this custom drum fabricator and I was doing new designs for them and working on this design that I was gonna try to um, gonna try to run with them. And I noticed in the shop that they had just this huge pile of of cut off drum shells. So essentially what happens when like in the drum building process is they'll build a tube, you know, that could be anywhere from like two to three feet, sometimes more. Uh, a wooden tube and then they'll cut the drums out of it like laterally right and they'll end up you know getting these different size <clears throat> these different size cylinders out of it and oftentimes at the end there's like a weird size piece that is not the right ratio to build the drum out of and nine times out of ten it ends up in a pile and going to the trash and I was I was and still I am like a huge opportunist like every time I see something that people are like throwing out I'm like nah 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 we can make something happen with that like that's not trash <laughs> and you know I was talking to the the lead production dude there and I was like yo can I take these and he's like no because <laughs> if you start building drums out of them it's a conflict of interest like he's like yeah they're trash but if you take them and start building drums out of our materials and I was like okay that's fair I was like what if I cut them up <laughs> he's like oh that's that's chill and I was like, all right, I'm going to chop them up and figure out something to do with them. And I was just uh, finishing up or had just finished a class in acoustics in college. And I had learned about the this, this um, concept called diffusion, which works kind of like a disco ball. Um, so when like a single beam of light hits a disco ball, 
it diffuses it into like a million smaller lights, right? So if someone like shined that light directly in your face, it'd be really harsh, but you get hit with one of those tiny little beams and it's not. And diffusion works very similarly like that with, um, with sound. So when a sound wave hits a flat surface, it reflects essentially directly off of it, right? But when a sound wave hits uh, a heavily textured surface, it will spread it into a million different directions. And so in my mind, I saw this connection pretty instantly of creating this like wavy pattern that was all differing and could split up these sound waves. So I started making it as a diffusion panel. Um, and that's kind of where it kicked off from. So the panel, for those who are listening and can't see it, essentially just looks like a big, wavy rectangle <laughs> made out of different types of wood and different like colors and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of how it kicked off. I made a couple of them in college, and then I, they were pretty bad. <laughs> and then I ended up working on them. Uh, picking the project back up in 2020, like end of the pandemic, kind of not end of it, kind of in the middle of it. I was like, I want to build some stuff. Picked it back up, hit up my buddy who's a drum builder and my buddy Ethan works at, um, or owns Philly Drum Co. And we started working on a new version of it. That's the first one we made together. Um, and then I made a handful, put them up online. They sold instantly and I was like, uh oh, I got to make more. And then I made some more. They sold instantly again. And then I, you know, blinked and I had a business by accident and I was like okay <laughs> that's how you roll with the punches man that's sweet yeah and I, I love building stuff and it, it, it's totally different than the drum world um, I used to build drums which is how I got into the drum company and so it, it gave me this feeling of like going not back to my roots necessarily but back to something that I forgot how much I loved of like being in a wood shop and making and just taking raw materials and forming them into something else which is um somewhat music like but very very different it takes you completely out of your head and just into your hands mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and which is i guess also kind of what drumming does but this is much more physical and and uh and real in a tangible aspect <laughs> yeah um yeah it's like product design coming full circle for you mm -hmm. in a way exactly <laughs> I always liked making stuff, so this is like, I'm like, all right, it's it's gonna happen, I guess. Like, I didn't really plan for this to happen, and it, and it and life life has a way of bringing you full circle to where you, where you're supposed to be, I guess. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that's been that's been a new thing that I've been like really really heavily invested in and really really enjoying. Yeah, I think that's awesome, and I, that, brings me to something I wanted to ask you about because I read about that on your website and like. I'm not sure if you have anything to say about this beyond what you just explained, but like, do you, do you have any thoughts on sustainability in this, in this scene, in this community oh, in yeah. general? Cause you know, like what you're doing is like sustainability. And I think there's a lot of, I, I don't know much about sustainability, but like I w it's something that I would like to see more of in this scene. So I would just love to hear your, oh, hear your yeah. thoughts on it. We have, we have so much work to do. Uh, it's, it's really sad. I was actually talking about this last night with my homies who were talking, we were talking about Envision, which is, uh, I've worked at that festival for the past few years, and it's the best festival I've ever been to by such a large margin. But they have such an intrinsically sustainable system there. Um, and, you know, nothing, 
that we consume or nothing that we do is going to be positive necessarily, but we can make it less negative. And you look at all of the things that they do to make it less negative, and it's like no brainers. It's like you can rent a cup and you give them like a dollar or something and they give you a cup and then you bring that cup back and they give you your dollar back. And so there's no trash and like they don't serve their food in styrofoam and plastic. They serve all the vendors serve it in a banana leaf. Granted, it's the jungle, so they're available, but um, it's so easy. And every year they plant a ton of trees. They have like a, um, a tree planting ceremony to start the festival. And I don't know how many they've planted, but I know it's like hundreds and hundreds. And they just intrinsically intertwine being good <laughs> to their festival model. Granted, they've had like 10 years running to get it figured out. Um, but you don't really see that across the board in music. And it's a bummer because a lot of the people are aware, you know, and this is a scene like this isn't a baseball game or a football game or NASCAR. Like this is the music scene. Like we have a lot of really brilliant, really aware people here. Um, who I think are super willing and able to participate in things that are less bad. <laughs> and it's just just starting now where festivals and venues are starting to think about it. Um, but there is so much we could be doing to make these events less impactful. Um, even if it's just like paying a carbon tax, you know, if you just think about the amount of power that goes into a sound system and the lights, like, we are burning fuel. Like, we are running Jenny's. Like, <laughs> it's not, you know, music festivals are not low-impact events. Um, and I'm really, like, I've always been thinking about this, but I've never, I won't consider myself, like, heavily into sustainability to a point of it being intrinsically part of my life until recently. Um, and it's just becoming impossible to ignore and like, if you start looking around you, and I really urge everyone to do this, but like just looking around you at all the stuff that we have, and like, I love stuff, I have so much stuff, <laughs> but just starting to acknowledge that you look around and think about the life of what it took to get that to you. And there's no way we can sustain that. You know, it's like, if we were, if we were cave people, the amount of stuff that we'd be able to create would be like a couple handheld items, you know? And you look around you and you think about how many people live in rooms like you with this many things and this many objects. And it's like, there's an, there's an imbalance here in what we're creating, what we're consuming. And it's drastic. Like, and you can look at that at a music festival too. It's the same thing. You look around and you're like, whoa, this is all built for three days. That's a lot of energy and a lot of work being outputted, even just even just like the human hours, you know, and the amount yeah. of food they have to eat and the amount of <laughs> piss we got to suck out of the portos. Like, it's so much, it's so much energy being put into these events. Um, and, you know, I won't say I have the answer. I definitely don't have the answer. Um, but I think in general, it takes everyone just thinking differently. You know, and I'm not going to tell everyone to go do something different, but it takes thinking differently and acting differently little by little to shift everybody into a kind of new perspective on consumption. Um, even if it's like, you know, you go get a beer at the bar, hold on to your cup and bring it back and yeah. just refill the same cup. It's like, look, we're going to throw out plastic. 
Just throw out less plastic. If you're gonna go to the bodega and get a sandwich, don't put it in a bag. It's already wrapped up. You don't need a bag. Just hold it. Like yeah, it's mind blowing to me how many stores I go into where someone hands me a single item and puts it in a bag, and I'm like, I don't need the bag, and they'll be like, okay, and they'll take the bag and throw it out, and I'm like, no, that's not. <laughs> that's not the point. I feel that way about like fruit at the airports. Like they always have like oranges in a plastic container, and I'm like, it's got a shell it's like in it a was container made for this. Yeah. <laughs> you get a bag of chips and put it in a bag. I'm like, that's already a bag. Like, right. it's crazy. It's we just we, you know, it's not gonna fix the world instantly. It's not gonna change everything if we start using less, but it will slowly shift everyone's perspective. It's about little shifts. We really can't. You can't expect everyone to to go live in a tent and like eat what they catch it's not gonna it's not gonna happen we live in a really really backward society that's gone really awol for a really long time so it's about making very small moves and and being consistent with it mm-hmm. and um i'm starting to talk a lot more about that on my social media platforms and giving little tips wherever i can and um planting as many trees as i can there's a awesome organization called one tree planted and it's a dollar per tree easy as that and they're like super reputable they have a really really good track record of using money well um you can look them up on all these like charity watch organizations who like actually look at the charities and what they're doing and they're really really they're doing great work um and there's just there's little things like that where it's like all right can we can we start taking money from our merch sales and just like a dollar per shirt and every every shirt plants a tree is there little things like that that we can just mm-hmm. intertwine in what we're already doing and it's not a huge sacrifice everyone can still profit everyone can still make money and cool things and have good experiences but are there little things that we can be doing that make it a little less bad and uh i really hope to see a lot more people doing that um and it sucks because there's not huge margins anywhere in the music industry. <laughs> so there's not a lot of money to go around. But uh, little behaviors and little changes like that will snowball, you know. So I want to see a lot more of that for sure. Yeah, I mean, this so brilliantly and well said. Like, thank mm-hmm. you for, like, sharing all of that. I feel like I just learned <laughs> something from you. Awesome. Um, but I... What you just said about how there's like not a lot of money to go around in the music industry, how you, you know, were lucky if you made like $100 a night. I'm wondering, and forgive my ignorance with this question, it's like to be more sustainable, does it cost more money? Like to, you know, to use like not styrofoam (laughs) plates, like to, you know, like to to make those like ethical choices. Like does it cost more to be ethical? Like do you have to make a choice between like sustainability and revenue? It is harder. Good. It is harder and it's more work. So yeah, okay. does it cost more? Yeah, it costs more in the short term. And in the long term, it will absolutely snowball to not only benefit the individual, but also the collective. And I just finished, I'm sure you guys saw that uh, Yvonne Chenard, the uh, owner of Patagonia, just sold yeah. the company to their own nonprofits to donate all the money. I just finished his book. Um, it's called uh, Let My People Go Surfing. Mm. And it's all about how he built Patagonia to be this at the core, at the roots, throughout the entire company. It's about how he built it to be extremely ethical and extremely sustainable to the best extent that they can. You know, and he's like, look, we're producing stuff, we're using stuff, there's gonna be waste, but how can we minimize it? And he talks about how um, as they're forming the company, they had to make a lot of decisions 
that were not necessarily didn't seem to be the most profitable decision, but were in fact the most sustainable. And he found that every time they did that, in turn, over time, it ended up being more profitable. And I see that as this no-brainer where like companies and venues think about short-term profits and very isolated, um, isolated finances instead of long-term finances. And a, and a great example to think about that is like cups, right? They'll buy hundreds of thousands of plastic cups and throw them out in a night. And there's a, like Mission Ballroom in Denver has cup returns. And that probably cost them, they have like, you know, nicer plastic cups that get recycled and washed. And that system probably cost them up front more money than most venues would be willing to blink an eye at. Like they won't even think about it because they're like, oh no, we'll just buy this stack of 100 cups for 10 cents. But if you look at over time, how they stop buying cups because they have the system, it becomes more profitable. And like that's the thinking that has gotten, obviously not just music, but the world has gotten us absolutely screwed, <laughs> is thinking in the short term instead of the long term. Um, and I think, yeah, it takes a little more work, but it can be a win-win. <laughs> it can be yeah. a win-win for everybody. Um, and so it's that kind of thinking that, like, I would love to see at more music festivals. I would love to see at more venues. Like, don't put plastic water bottles in the green room. Get a subscription to those big water bottle companies, you know, the Poland Springs or whatever, that will bring a, a, a bunch of 20-gallon jugs or whatever. And, like, we're adults. Get a water bottle. <laughs> Fill it up. Right. We don't need to go through 60 plastic water bottles at one show. It's insane. Um, and look, it up front, it's going to look like it's expensive. And then over the long term, you're going to be like, wow, we haven't bought a case of water in five years. Like That has saved us so much money and plastic. And it's things like that. It's like, why are we not doing this? So I really, I really, really encourage not only venue owners and, and festival owners and whatnot, but just everyone to just start thinking about it like that. Um, buy clothes that are going to last you a long time. Buy gear that's quality and it's going to last. Don't buy something that's going to break and you're going to buy another one. In the short term, it's cheap. In the long term, it's more expensive. Um, I'm, about to, I'm about to print some merch and... I don't want to print the merch that's going to be a shirt that's going to dissolve in two years. I want to print like someone's favorite shirt that they're going to wear all the time. And it's going to last them mm -hmm. and it's going to cost a little bit more. And yeah, in the short term, it's going to be lower profit margins and whatnot. But I want to put something out there that's going to last. Yeah, because um, you think from the fan perspective, then it's just something they get to enjoy even longer. You know, like I know, like when I would buy like those twenty dollar merch shirts, I'm like, oh, this is that bullshit gilded cotton that's gonna fucking shrink the first time I wash it. All the yep. cool styles on there, the, the design's gonna fade. Like, I'm not gonna have this. I'm not gonna own it. It's gonna get to Goodwill eventually. But then when people start yeah. rolling out those like forty or fifty dollar shirts. I'm like, tight. Like this is soft as fuck. It's gonna look fresh yeah. as hell. And I still have a lot yeah. of those shirts. Like, like eight years yeah. later. And it's a little bit of a tougher sell because it's more expensive. But yeah. you gotta you gotta get that point across of like this is gonna last you. Like you're not buying a shirt to have for six months. Yeah. You're buying a shirt that's that's made in the U.S. and quality and like, you know, it, it's it's tougher than a tougher of a sell than it should be. <laughs> yeah. It's like, look, do you want quality or cheap? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm I'm wondering hearing you say this like have you seen any good models for incentivization in terms of like how can we like incentivize like venues or like people to to think about this more? That is a good question. Um I mean, I I just finished this book so it's just like so at the forefront of where I'm thinking, but Patagonia is a great example of how they do that. And they're not, you know, they're not angels, no one is, but they they make their clothing extremely high quality and they make their clothing extremely able to be uh, repaired and they offer repairs for super cheap. So it's incentivizing people to buy the expensive thing because it's going to last you forever. And then when it starts breaking down, it's not like a computer that you can't fix or an iPhone that you can't fix. It's something that people want to buy mm -hmm. because they know it's going to last. So do I see that in the music scene? No, <laughs> I don't. Um, and I think it's because of that thinking, like people aren't thinking long-term, they're thinking short-term. Um, and, oh, well, I guess, you know, there are like, you know, the Envision example of the cups. It's like, it's an incentive. Like you don't have to bring anything. We're not gonna charge you. It's free to rent this cup. Or it's like, you know, a quarter or something, I don't remember. But you don't have to carry it around. You don't have to remember it. You just go to the rental place and drop it back off when you're done with it. And you know that it's, it's getting washed and used. But And incentives, I, it sucks because people always want – it doesn't suck. It just is what it is. People want stuff. And you got to convince people somehow that doing the right thing is the incentive. <laughs> and that's – not easy, but it's something that I'm going to stick to of just like, look, the shirts are blank price, but they're made in the U.S. They're not made by children overseas, and they're much lower impact than they would have been, and I'm going to plant a tree for every shirt that's sold. Like, if that's not enough incentive for you, then I, <laughs> you got you got to change your attitude. Like, you know, the incentive has to be doing the right thing. Um yeah. And I think there are opportunities to make it, I think it is uh, a win-win a lot of the times, but people don't see it that way. So I think um, we just have to keep drilling in people's heads that doing the right thing is the incentive. Like feel good about your choices, feel good about what you're buying, feel good about where you're going. Um, and it's not straightforward and it's not easy and you don't have to make every decision that's the best you know, if everyone was doing the best thing that they possibly could all the time, life would be a little more tricky because we're not set up in a society that makes it easy to make the low impact decision. You know, mm -hmm. I, I throw out plenty of trash. I drive a car. I create lots of waste. I just got new shoes. There's so many things that we do all the time that are intrinsically wasteful. Um, but if we can slowly start trying to change people's minds that quality, longevity, ethical, green decisions, actually actual ethical green decisions, not just a brand that says grass-fed blank or, you know, ethically produced, uh, whatever, like, look at it, see if it's real, follow the factory, like, you know, go back to the makers, see if they're being true to their word. Um, you know, that has to be the incentive of like, do we want a future, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know how to incentivize people more than, like, what do you think about the future? 
Seriously. Do you guys want to have one of those or not? Like, I'm not having kids, but a lot of people are. And, uh, you know, there's your incentive. <laughs> Leave the earth in a place that's going to be, have, like, habitable for future generations and for nature. Um, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do, but it's it's slowly changing the thoughts. And I am myself just at the very beginning of that. And uh, do not feel like I'm like the one to be leading this at all because <laughs> I'm not well-educated in it, but I'm just passionate about it and have made the decision of like, if it's a little bit harder to do the right thing, do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you honestly like... You sound like an expert to me and like just I feel like we and I do this I do this to myself too where <laughs> oh, like <I'm> <laughs> we're like I'll set the bar so high and I'm like well I'm not an expert in this but you're you know like just cuz you're not an expert in something it doesn't mean that like you can't like own it and be passionate about it and like be like a resource for people yeah. you yeah. know you don't have to be an expert just like run, just wash your clothes on cold you know <laughs> like <laughs> like it's amazing it's amazing wash your dishes in the dishwasher turns out that's like like there's you know you don't have to be an expert you just have to know these little things that actually are a little better like a lot better like there's i think it's like 20 times less water to wash your dishes in the dishwasher than to individually wash them by hand in the sink Hmm. it's insane and it's like a massive quantity less energy to wash your clothes on cold instead of warm right how easy would that be insane like like 20x like you know and that's you doing that once is not going to change the world, but you doing it and talking about it and sharing that and doing it all the time and getting other people to do it changes the thinking. Yeah. And it changes the thinking and it changes our actions. And it's like, sometimes it's not harder. Sometimes it's not harder. Sometimes it's just something you never thought about. There's super easy things. You can turn your water heater down in your house. Win-win. Saves you money and, and it's less energy. Like, you turn your water heater down so it's not flaming when it comes out of the faucet you don't need that like right <laughs> there's so many things there's these tiny little things it's a win-win for everybody um so yeah i don't know it, it's like you don't have to be an expert to talk about doing the right thing um and i don't always do the right thing and i don't always know what to do that's better but i know a lot of little things and i'm going to keep sharing and, that. and you're trying <laughs> yeah. your best like that's all that, mm-hmm. and like you have good intentions like that's all like that's all you can do like you're like just putting in that effort it's it goes a long way yeah let's get let's get everyone thinking like that and going back <laughs> to your sound panels can you explain what they replace like what like what is a typical sound panel like what materials like are like does it use and like how is yours reducing any kind of like waste yeah totally um so i'm leaning much heavier into the artistic side of them because Diffusion is extremely complicated concept, and there is there's the concept, and then there's the science, right? And I got the concept down, and then there's this huge divide between being like an acoustical physis- physicist and knowing how to measure and knowing how to send waves in distinct ways that affect certain frequencies. So, you know, it turns out you can send them off to be um, to be tested, but it's like thousands of dollars per panel. And every panel that I make is different. So I'm leaning much more into the artistic side of it and going into the design world much harder. So I, you know, there's, as a concept, I can tell you that they're effective in high range diffusion, high frequency diffusion. Um, 
and that helps more with like the top end of vocal range and like controlling slap echo and and um and feedback in the room but the reality is you need a lot of sound treatment and um a lot of people so i am again this is one of those things that i'm super duper not an expert in but i know drastically more than the average person about acoustics but the difference between the there's like there's point a which is the average person point b which is me and then point c which is like someone who is an, an acoustician you know and understands acoustics to an extreme degree and i am very far from both of those things <laughs> so um what does it replace it doesn't replace anything necessarily but uh it's something that a musician can put in their studio if they want an extremely good vibe and if they want to control a little bit of high end um but i try to educate people with whatever information i do have and do know about acoustics um and like where to start you know if someone's starting their first studio and they want their first piece of sound treatment don't buy my thing like this is like this is for people who have a little extra money and want to turn their studio into a really good vibe that also has a positive effect it's like it's 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 aesthetics first acoustic second um but the concepts behind acoustics are so in some ways simple and in some ways extraordinarily complicated and if anyone ever needs like the simple side of it i got you like i can talk about bass traps i can talk about how much foam you need you know to um to hit certain frequencies uh i can tell you about placement of panels and whatnot i've got one up on up on my ceiling right here clouds are super important there's like so much there's so much uh concepts at the core that are really simple and then there's a lot of extremely complicated measurements and um and whatnot that i am very far removed from (laughs) so in terms of uh yeah in terms of sound and utility that's that in terms of materials and use um i started a relationship with this other shell building company so not the same one that i started working with um but there's essentially like two big drum shell builders and they build the drum shells and they send them off to companies to then build full drum sets with so i have a relationship with one of them and i email the owner whenever i want and he sends me huge boxes of all their cutoffs and it's a win-win right so i buy it by the pound from them they have all these shells sitting around that are either like blemished or extras or like i said like you know the extra weird sized pieces at the bottom um or like overstock that they wouldn't sell like something's wrong with it in some weird way and so it's a win-win for them right they get to they get to get rid of this waste and make money on it make their money back like i'm paying them you know what they paid to make it uh and it doesn't end up in a landfill and then I take it and make it into something new. Um, so it's it's that concept, kind of like I was talking before about like look for op- like little opportunities to make stuff less bad. <laughs> it's like yes, this is made of wood. That means we cut down a bunch of trees, but it's not going to the garbage. We're making art out of it. <laughs> so like, how do you make it less bad? Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that it was a bit of a ramble, but I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> totally. Thank you. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, what's next, Professor? Like, what else did you want to talk about on this, <laughs> yeah. on this show? This is this is a seminar. You're putting on a clinic over here. <laughs> oh, there's a. Lot, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. That was the majority of it. I mean, I I um, I really want musicians to be prosperous 
and the music industry is really, really, really hard to make a life in. Um, you know, and I would suggest it for everyone and no one all at once. But I want to like really, really urge producers and musicians everywhere to think about diversifying their income, even if it is entirely through music. Because um, it's not only is it not a sure thing that you're going to have a full career um, based just off of playing your music, but it's also. You know, like when the when COVID hit and just wiped out everyone's careers like that. I was lucky enough to have a couple different income streams for music, and I really want to try to help people to think in this way of like, how else can you make money doing what you love? And not just through the panels, like that's kind of like separate. But I I do I sell a lot of sample packs, and I do a lot of that kind of audio, um, and that's been very, I mean pivotal in my survival as a musician and like I want to just encourage people that like you can do it and you can have a full career in music but you do have to get creative and you have to work outside of just music you know of, of just producing music under your moniker um like my roommate Joe he's been my best friend forever like we went to freshman year in college and we've been living together ever since he goes by 92L really really great producer um, but he mixes and masters music. He does a lot of vocal production with people. He does sync deals with uh, commercials and like little Instagram ads will pick up his music. Uh, he also does sample packs. He also does lessons. Uh, you kind of have to build yourself this like microcosm of, of income around your music in order to have some sort of stability in less you're going to just commit to eating ramen and making music until you're at the top. And that is really hard, really rare, and people have to be really lucky. Um, so I think that was like another one of the things that I just wanted to like talk about and share with people is a career that you own and you run is possible, but you've got to get creative and you have to let go of the idea of like, I'm just going to make music and that's it. Like <laughs> shamelessly, you know? Like I also I play in a wedding band. Like that's not the most fun thing in the world, but I'm playing drums and I'm getting really really good money to go play drums. Um, I ain't above it. Like you know I'll play I'll play a amazing show for two thousand people for a couple hundred bucks, and then the next day I'll do the inverse. Right, I'll play for two hundred people for a couple thousand bucks. <laughs> um, but I want to see people thinking about that. About like how else can I use what I love and what I'm good at and the the environments around what I do to create my life you know you don't have to work a nine-to-five you don't have to be a, a you don't have to be under a boss who controls your life you can do it like you can Sam 5am teaches lessons does graphic design and lives off of it and and music like it's it's you create a a, a a cosm around what you do, a microcosm of, of things you're good at and things you can make money on, and uh, and it's possible. And I want to see people doing that and living good, comfortable lives, and obviously, hopefully, hitting the top, you know, and and being very comfortable. But at the very least, like we don't have to suffer, you know. You just gotta get gotta get smart.
Yeah, it's a great point you talk about with, you know, just the knowledge that you guys have because it is skills that you guys have. And, you know, you've spent your whole life cultivating those. So it's really cool to see selling the sample packs because I know that for some producers, you know, creating drums can be the fucking bane of their existence. So, you know, you can reach out to someone who just has all these great kits. Um, I was looking through your online site and like you have tons of options available for people, you know, and it's like it's such a good idea. It's like if you have these talents and skills, like share them. You're essentially Use like them. you're a musician, you're an artist. Your teacher, like, mm -hmm. look at all these hats you got. Yeah, exactly. Go out there and utilize it. Share your skills. Yeah. People will pay for it. It's really nice. You know, it's really nice to be supported by people and to be able to do that stuff. But people uh, don't give themselves enough credit and don't, and also don't push themselves creatively enough to think that way. And I really want people to do that. Like, I am down. If anyone wants to talk about it, hit me up, and I will. I will drill you into finding the opportunities that you have to, to make money and to and to share your skills. Like I will find it. <laughs> Life and business coach, boom! A new side hustle has emerged. <laughs> I don't want to make. A, I I have a I have a habit of accidentally making businesses out of everything that I like. Yeah. So I don't want to encourage that for people. <laughs> I don't want to encourage doing that with everything. You also have to do stuff that's just joyful. But like you know, I definitely I definitely. I'm not going to start a coaching <laughs> consultation. I'm down to just help you all out if you want it. Like, hit me up free of charge. I will I will try my best to, to find ways to help you live a little bit better, make a little more money, and share your skills. And don't try to make me make a business out of it because I will. <laughs> There's the challenge. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, well, Aaron, man, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. This has been a true pleasure. Like Elizabeth said, you know, I've genuinely learned so much cool new information and the sustainability conversation, you know, it's like, it's always something that's kind of in the back of my mind and just something I'm going to just continue to push a little bit more forward. You know, I was literally looking at a pile of dishes that I'm going to do at my girlfriend's house, but now I'm like, no, I'm just going to empty the dishwasher <laughs> and put them in there. Yeah. It's going to save yeah. water and I'm going to go home and do it laundry is. on cold. It's easy. Easy. It's easy. It's just going to change nothing stuff. about my yeah. day. Yep, exactly. There's yeah. a lot of little things like that. There's a lot of little things like that, and it just changes the thinking. Yeah, I'm over here feeling guilty. I, I went out last night to see Amon Tobin, and, you know, I love seeing when venues nice. have free water. Oh, I love Amon yeah, Tobin. You know, I had to make yeah. a very hard choice, though, between Amon Tobin and Of The Trees. Very, very hard. Mm. Um, uh, that's a tough but one. Like, uh, Amon Tobin doesn't come around that's that often. Exactly, so, and I literally yeah. saw that Of The Trees is coming back in February, and I was like, all right, gotta go see, gotta go see Amon yeah. Tobin. But, you know, I, I <laughs> yeah. love seeing venues that have free water. And, uh, and now I'm like, I literally, like, used, like, at least three little cups of water, and I just, like, threw, like, I threw them away. Like, I was that asshole. And now I'm like, you know what, like, Shame. but... But you can change. No, 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 no shame. Like no exactly, shame. like once you no learn shame. new information, you can be like, you know yeah. what? Like I'm not going to do that again. Like or maybe maybe yeah. they'll let me bring a water bottle in. I don't know. I didn't even think to yeah. ask. Like it. And it's also it's just the acknowledgement too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Knowing that, like I throw out plastic. I'll, I mean, I'll go out and have a couple of drinks and forget about it and this and that. Like yeah. you know, it. No shame. Yeah. There's no shame. It's just the knowledge of knowing that you can and making that decision whenever you. Yeah, can. absolutely. Yeah, so. And thank you. Don't feel, don't feel no good. Yeah, but, like, thank you so much for sharing that knowledge. Like, I think sustainability is something that, like, it's not something that was, like, actively on my radar to talk about on this podcast, but, like, when I saw that you were doing the, the panels in this way, I was like, I think this could be a cool opportunity to talk about this theme, like, to use this platform to talk about this theme, and, like, it's the first time we've talked about it, and I'm, like, I'm very, very happy that we got to mm -hmm. focus on that specifically. Oh, yeah. Like, I wasn't expecting it to go 
that deep and like i am i am fucking thrilled so like thank you <laughs> yeah y'all got a platform you talk to a lot of cool people like you know bring it up have the conversation because that works it's just a snowball of conversations and that's that's a big takeaway that i hope you guys can keep pushing too is like it's not do one thing and fix everything it's just talk about it think about it you know yeah that's it so it's been great i love talking to you guys it's super fun yeah likewise i, uh, I hope we can all hang in person one absolutely day. yeah man we'll have to link up um, i'm gonna be at submersion next month and elizabeth and i oh, were yeah. talking before you hopped on the call that whole thursday pre-party day is just fucking insane it's oh, like yeah. just yeah, homies, on homies, on homies, yeah. on homies <laughs> on homies on homies on homies on homies on homies until like 4 a.m and i'm just like okay great <laughs> so we'll kick it there yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a uh, that's gonna be a hefty send. Submersion is like, I don't know when this episode's going out, but I hope it comes out before Submersion because y'all like anyone listening, you better be coming to that thing. It's amazing. That that is the definition of local promoters putting their neck their yeah, neck out. Fuck yeah, like that Crushing. is like my homies. That is Jesse and Ryan and and a whole crew of people that are going way extending themselves to throw something really cool for the scene and like y'all better come enjoy it it's gonna be good like <laughs> i'm stoked you're gonna be there okay oh, man i'm looking forward to linking yeah. with you in person i was hoping you're gonna be there when i visited sam the other month but i think you're out doing something yeah i don't i don't stay home often <laughs> nah, yeah you got a lot of you got a lot of hats like i said you're a busy bee so keep grinding man thank you for being a fucking really awesome light in this community um it's been Thanks, a true man. pleasure Oh, thank you guys so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. What a great way to start the day. Have a great rest of your Honestly. Saturday. <laughs> All right. You too, guys. So good to meet you. We will we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely.